huge percentages of people, you know, 91% believe that Christians are anti-homosexual, 87% believe that we're hypocritical, 84% believe that we're judgmental. I had never written a book before, and I, I wrote this book. It's called Unchristian. It's really like a, a book about all the negative perceptions that people have about Christians. And we're trying to help bring some reality, uh, a dose of reality, um, to the Christian community to try to have this inside-outside conversation about the fact that the the population feels this way about about Christians, and we're we're known to be hypocrites. I mean, there's so many things about Christianity in this country and in my church and in my life that it is not very likable. It's not very, it's not very Christian. <laughs> we seem to wrestle with who we are and who we're becoming. We seem to ha have some of the, the, the most profound moments of goodness and then the, the, the most depraved moments of, of darkness in our lives. That, that's just true of us. One of the huge challenges that we have as Christians is that there's so many of us that that say we're Christian, and I, I wonder whether that's that's really the case. Like, are we just a, like socially Christian, culturally Christian, but no longer really following Jesus? And so I think this idea of like everyone likes God and most people like Jesus, and fewer people like the church is the best way to put it. Is that there's this like the the, the least favorable part of religion is organized religion in our country today. Maybe our whole idea of being a part of, of church and being a part of organized religion is is off base. That we've made you know something more like a gym to be a member of, rather than a movement to be uh, to be a part of. I also see times in in the things that we work on with faith communities, you see people bringing some of the best things to their communities. Um, they're 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 serving the homeless or they're they're working with uh, with at risk teenagers or they're, they're willing to do uh, and invest in young lives in ways that are really at personal cost to themselves. And among this group of people called evangelicals, even though they have a terrible reputation in many ways, they actually give something like 10 times more money towards charities and towards churches than anyone else uh, in our culture. They have a lot that they don't do right, but there's some things that are really amazing about their lives and the way they give and the way that they care for their communities and the way that they um, they invest in others. And I think that's an example of, of faith really working. Well, I don't know what that video does for you, but it should cause you to say, wow, there's a problem. <laughs> there's, there's a disconnect. There's, there's, a, there, there's an issue that we're facing as followers of Christ, you know, why is it that the perception of our world is that Jesus is, you know, mostly good and mostly respectable, uh, but Christians are mostly laughable and mostly bad? Uh, there's a fundamental problem there. And the problem I would submit to you is this. There is often a huge disconnect or a huge gap between our beliefs, what we say we believe, and our actions, right? There's a big disconnect there. So much so that our witness, in many cases, has been more laughable than respectable. 
And so as followers of Christ, I, I want you to, I want to remind you who we are in Christ this morning. Uh, we have been born again, right? We have been chosen. We have been redeemed and purchased by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, securing freedom for me and for you by the blood of Christ on the cross, right? We've been given this brand new identity. That's what it means to be born again. We're God's special possession. We are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of Christ who is actively right now, as we're sitting here, the Holy Spirit is changing us and convicting us of sin and empowering us to live our lives differently. Not only that, we've been invited on this amazing mission with Jesus, with Jesus, to seek and to save the lost. We've been giving, given an eternal hope that does not perish, it does not spoil, it does not fade away, and it cannot be taken from us. Now, shouldn't our lives reflect the beauty of Jesus rather than repulse people from him? Answer that question. Absolutely, yes. So where is the disconnect? Where, where is the gap? And that's what we're going to talk about today. And what we're going to learn from Peter as we continue this series in 1 Peter, here's what we're going to learn from Peter. We're going to learn that the disconnect is in how we choose to use our freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. How we choose to use our freedom. And here's the bottom line of the message today. So hear this, and then you can go back to sleep, okay? Here's the bottom line of the message today. The impact of your life, the impact of my life, our impact as a follower of Jesus, as a follower of Christ, will be measured in large part by how you and I choose to use our freedom. The impact that we have as followers of Christ who have been bought, redeemed, chosen by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, the impact of our life, as a follower of Christ, would be measured in large part by how you and I choose to use our freedom. So if you have your Bibles with you, and I hope you do, turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. If you need a Bible, uh, raise your hand this morning. We have ushers that would love to put one in your hand. Raise your hand high, and they'll put one in your hand. 1 Peter chapter 2. Go ahead and find that. Uh, when you do, we're going to read together verses 11 through 25 together. So when you find that, go ahead and stand to your feet. 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning at verse 11 through the end of the chapter. Let's read this out loud together. Ready? Read. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. 
Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Before you have a seat, let me pray. Father God, your word is living and active, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And so, God, right now, I pray that your word would do what your word was designed to do, that it would cut deep to our hearts, Lord, that it would create life transformation. Lord, do that through your Holy Spirit, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 May have a seat. So verse 11, Peter is reminding us what we have already talked about as we've been in this series for the last couple of weeks, that we're exiles, right? Pastor Jim, a couple weeks ago, talked about the difference between uh, tourists and exiles and immigrants, right? That, that we're not tourists here as followers of Christ. You know, tourists kind of uh, don't get involved too much in the affairs of where they're at, right? They, they're just there for pure enjoyment purposes, and that's not what we're called to be or, or to do here. And, and we're not immigrants. Immigrants kind of come and adapt, right, to the culture around them, and they, they try to look like the culture in which they, they live. So we're not immigrants, but we're, we're exiles. We're foreigners. We should look different, in a good way, right? right? We, should, we should look different. And, and, and so that's, that's who we are uh, as, as followers of, of Christ. And uh, so Peter's reminding us of this, that, that we need to, to uh, put away our sinful desires. Like we have this desire to fit in with the culture. That's just who we are, right? We have this desire in us, and, and, and Peter's reminding us, like, put that away. You don't have to live that way. You now have freedom in Christ. As a matter of fact, when you try to live like the culture, tr- live like the world, you're actually being a slave is what he's saying. And so abstain from those desires to look like the culture. And then verse 12, look at, look at verse 12. Uh, this, this is so powerful. He, Peter tells us, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So who are pagans? Well, it's, they're more than just the motorcycle gang, right? Pagans are simply this, people who are highly resistant to the gospel, okay? Pagans are people who are highly resistant 
to the gospel. And, and so Peter's speaking in to, to these people, and he's speaking to us, and he's saying that we should live our lives in such a way that people who are highly resistant to the gospel will take notice of us. And by us living in this way, that these people who are highly resistant to the gospel will move towards the gospel instead of away from the gospel. That's what, that's what Peter's saying here. And this is our mission. This is why you and I are here. This is why Jesus redeemed our lives. This is why he saved us so that we would live our lives in such a way that people who are highly resistant to the gospel would take notice and they would, be, they would move closer to the gospel rather than further away from it. So how are we supposed to do that? Well, Peter's going to tell us how we are to do that. Look ahead at verse 16 with me. Verse 16, and what does it say? It says, live as what? Free people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Now, what's incredible about this statement that Peter is making is who he's making this statement to. And the original hearers of, of this statement, that they are to live as free people. He was writing to a group of Christians who were scattered all over the place. Why? Because of persecution. They were being persecuted. They were suffering for what they believed in. They took a stand for Jesus Christ, and because of that, they were forced to scatter. They had to leave their, their communities that they loved, that they grew up in, leave their family businesses, leave their family in a lot of cases, and and they were scattered all over the place. So he was talking to people who were, were persecuted. He was also talking to Christians who were living in the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire led by King Nero. He hated Christians. He hated Christianity. He wanted to rid the known world of, of Christians. And he did horrible, horrible things, unspeakable things to, to Christians and he, the, these Christians are living in a Roman Empire that was a totalitarian state. So what that means is they didn't enjoy the freedom that you and I enjoy because of those who, you know, we, we honored those veterans today, right, who, who fought and served our country and, and, uh, and, and in many cases, you know, gave up their lives so that we can have freedom that we have here, even like to worship to, sit, to come, come into a building and gather as, as followers of Christ and, and, and to be able to worship our God. That's a freedom that these believers did not know and did not experience. They didn't have protections, laws on the books to protect them and to protect their religious freedoms, right? And so Peter's speaking to this group of people. And in some cases, he's speaking to people who are slaves, who are living in very harsh, brutal, unjust situations with their slave owners. Now, I think it's important just to mention the Bible never endorses slavery. The, never, the Bible never uh, gives approval to slavery. But here's what I love about God's word. The Bible speaks to the world as it is. Not as 
we would like it to be, right? And so Peter's speaking into a group of people who are living in just incredible, under incredible oppression. And he's speaking counsel and he's speaking wisdom into, into these situations. And Peter writes to this audience, and this is what he says, live as free people. So where's the freedom that they're experiencing? Now, imagine you living in this day and age under this immense persecution and oppression. Imagine being owned by a slave owner who, who just beats you every chance that they have, and they treat you very harshly and very poorly. Imagine living under that type of oppression and that type of immense suffering, right? Let me ask this question. How would you expect someone to live who lives in those conditions? How, how would you expect someone to live who is living under this oppressive Roman totalitarian state? How would you expect someone like that to live? I'll tell you how I would expect them to live. I, I would expect them to always be in conflict with their government. I would expect them to kind of look for opportunities to revolt and rebel and stand against, right? And maybe even bring others along with me to stand against. Why? Because it's unjust. It's not fair. And how would you expect people to react if they were owned by a slave owner who was treating them harshly and forcing them to live under extreme conditions like these people were living. I'll tell you how I would expect them to react. I, I would expect them to react with immense hatred towards those who are treating them poorly, right? And Peter is telling them, I want you to live as, as free people. Now, what does freedom mean? Well, freedom simply means this. It means you have the ability to make a different choice. You, you have the ability to make a different choice. Now, Christians and the people who Peter is writing to and all of us who know Jesus and have been saved and redeemed, born again, given a new identity, we're the only group of people that can do this. No, nobody else can, can do this. And so this is why we are to stand out. This is why uh, the world... Highly, highly resistant people to the gospel should look at us, should look at me and how I conduct myself, look at you and how you conduct yourself. And by them watching me and watching you and watching us live our lives and exercising our freedom in a different way, people who are highly resistant to the gospel should move closer to the gospel, not further away from, from the gospel. And, and here's... Here's what I know. This is extremely hard to do. <laughs> and I don't even like this, right? <laughs> because I, I want to be able to lash out. I, I want to be able to stand up for myself when I'm mistreated. Don't you? Like, I, there's something in me that wants justice. And there's something in you that wants justice. And by the way, that's a really good thing. God placed that in you and placed that in me. The very fact that we're created in the image of God, God is just, he's a just God. And so that feeling 
that you and I have when someone's mistreated or that there's great suffering or that someone lashes out against you in an unfair way, in an untrue way, and you're placed at a disadvantage, that feeling of, like, I want justice, that's a very normal feeling placed in you by, by God. That's why you like Judge Judy. I'm serious. That's why you watch shows like Law and Order, right? Like, because we like justice to be served, right? Who doesn't? Anybody in here don't like justice? Like, no. All of us, we, 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 we want justice to be served out. I'm more of a people's court guy. Judge Wapner. You guys remember Judge Wapner? He was awesome. Judge Wapner was great. Anyway, the young, the young millennials are like, Judge Wapner, who's that? Anyway. So, but here, here's, what I, here's, what I, here's what I know. So it, when you're treated poorly and you're in a situation where you get passed over for a promotion at work, like, you're pretty sure you're going to get the promotion because you show up early and you stay late and you're all in. Like, you are a company man. You are a company woman. And you love your company that you work for and you've demonstrated that by your work ethic. And you have not only demonstrated that you're, you, know, you, you are a good employee, you've put out, you've produced in such a way that now all of a sudden you're being passed up for a promotion. Now, we have a choice to make in that moment, don't we? And what Peter is saying is that we use our freedom to make a different choice. We, make our, we, we use our freedom to, to make a different choice. Because if you dig your feet in and you do what is natural, what you want to do in that situation, here's what's going to happen. So you say, I got passed up for this promotion, so here's what's going to happen. I'm not coming in early anymore. I'm just not doing it. Matter of fact, I'm going to leave right on the button when I am supposed to leave. No more staying over because, you know, they, obviously they don't care about this extra effort. They don't see that. And not only that, I'm just going to do the bare minimum. Forget it. That's how they treat me. That's how I'm going to treat them. Very natural response, right? Some of you are like, oh boy, I just did this this week. <laughs> but here's the deal. Here's what I want you to know. In that moment, you may win the conflict. Like, you may feel better about yourself because you, like, want a conflict within you. But you're going you're to lose the war in the process. Why? Because our goal, our whole goal is to live our lives in such a way that people who are highly resistant to the gospel will see the choices that we make, see how we choose to use our freedom, and they will move closer to the gospel, not further away. Remember, there's a disconnect between what we say we believe and how we actually live our lives. And that disconnect is creating a tension in our culture where people they just don't think we're very friendly people. They don't think we're very kind as people. And it's not very attractive to them. Remember, the impact of your life as a follower of Christ will be measured in large part by how you choose to use your freedom. Now, take a deep breath. This is heavy stuff. So, Peter says this. If you want an example of what this looks like, 
Look no further than the example of Jesus. Look no further than the example of Jesus. So look, look at verse 21. Look at verse 21. Peter says this. He's speaking to these people. Remember, they're in immense suffering. And he's also speaking to us, people that find ourselves in all kinds of conflict. We find ourselves being mistreated. Our spouses don't give us the respect that we think we should deserve. We're in the middle of conflict with our neighbor who refuses to respect me, respect us, respect our family. We're living in a, a, an environment where people, they talk bad about you, they slandered you, they're spreading gossip about you, spreading lies about you, things that are not true. Peter's speaking into all of that. And he's saying this in verse 21. To this you were what? Called. Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you and an what? An example that you should follow in his what? Ouch. Okay. And then he starts giving us the example of Jesus. Verse 22. He committed no sin. And no what? No deceit was found in his mouth. So he committed no sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. Verse 23, when they hurled insults at him, he did not what? Retaliate when he suffered. He made no what? Threats. Wow. That's hard. That's really, really hard, isn't it? He committed no sin. No deceit was found in him. Uh, someone once said that the first casualty of conflict is truth. Truth is always the first casualty of conflict. That's why we say there are two sides to every what? Right? And when you're in the middle of a conflict and when I'm in the middle of the conflict, here's what we look to do. We look to spin it in our direction, right? We leave out maybe some important facts over here to make ourselves look good and we spin things in our direction. This is why politics are so frustrating, right? This, <laughs> amen. That's why you turn off the news, right? Because you got two groups of people saying that they have the corner on truth, right? And, and, and everybody's spinning and, and, and we do the same thing when we're in the middle of a conflict, when there's two, when there's, a, when there's a couple and one of the husband or the wife come to me and they, and, and, and they say, hey, I need to talk to you about my marriage and we meet together and they start telling me uh, about the issues in their marriage, it's why I need to wait and hear the other side of the story, right? Because I, we, we spin things. It's just, it's who we are, but not with Jesus. Not with Jesus. There was no deceit in him. And not only that, he did not retaliate. Did not retaliate. Now, think about this for a moment. Think of the damage that Jesus could have inflicted on those who, are, who were accusing him and who were spitting on him and who were trumping up all these false charges against him and who arrested him under false charges. And just think of the damage. Think of the retaliation that Jesus could have, could have induced. I mean, he, would have, he could have created Calvary into a wasteland like that. 
by snapping his fingers, by nodding his head, by giving the approval. Jesus could have done that, but he didn't. He didn't retaliate at all. And he made no threats. Now think about this. Think about this for a moment. He could have those who were nailing his hands and his feet to the cross, he could have threatened them with hell. Like he could have, he could have done that, right? You're going to go to hell for this. <laughs> he didn't lobby any threats. Matter of fact, I, I want you to turn uh, with me. Let, let's, let's look a little bit deeper at some of this. Turn to Matthew chapter 26. Uh, I want to dig a little bit deeper. Matthew chapter 26. Keep your finger in 1 Peter. But turn to Matthew chapter 26 with me for for a moment, and I want you to turn to verse 47. This is when Jesus was arrested. It says that while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the 12, arrived with him. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man, arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, look at how Jesus replied, do what you came for, friend. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him with that. Check this out. One of Jesus' companions, by the way, this was Peter, reached for his sword and drew it out, and he struck the servants of the high priest, cutting off his ear. So Peter's saying, I want justice right here, right now, whack. And there flops off an ear. But Jesus, look at, look at, what, look at how Jesus responds. Look at this. Verse 52, put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him. Now, what Jesus was saying in that moment is, we have a choice. Freedom is a choice. And I'm going to exercise my freedom to make a different choice, Peter. We're not going to right this wrong right now. Why? Because I want to make a way for people who are highly resistant to the gospel to move closer to the gospel, not further away from it. Do you, do you see that? Do you see that? And, 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 and then look at what Jesus says. You know, because Peter's there like, I want retaliation. I want to retaliate. Jesus says, Peter, all of you, like, do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But look at verse 54. This is the mission this is what we're about. This is why we exercise our freedom to make a different choice. Look at this. But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that says it must happen in this way? So Jesus is saying, look, I'm, I'm going to use my freedom to make a different choice. And it's not natural. <laughs> it's not natural. There is no sin. There is no deceit. There's no spin. There's no defending himself. There's no retaliation. There's no threats. Look, look a little further down, uh, verse 57. Those who had arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the law and the elders had assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance 
right up to the courtyard of the high priest. He entered and sat down with the guards to see the outcome. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for what? False evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death, but they did not find any, though many false witnesses came forward. Finally, two came forward, and they declared, this fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God, rebuild it in three days. Now, the high priest looks at Jesus, and he, he, says, he says, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Here's what Jesus said. Remember, no deceit, no spin. He just simply said, you have said so. <laughs> That's how Jesus responded. You've, you've said so. And he does it again a little further on in, in the story when he stands uh, before Pilate. That's how, that's how Jesus responded. Now, if this is our example, when we are in situations where we're treated unfairly and unjustly, remember, if, if this is our example, we're not, we're not going to sin. We're not going to use deceit to spin our way to make us look better. We're not going to retaliate. We're not going to come against people and say, like, well, I'm not going to do this. If you didn't do this, I'm not going to do this. If you didn't respect me, I'm not going to respect you. That's just how this thing's going to work. I'm not going to exercise threats. We're not going to do that. Why? Because the impact of our lives will be measured in large part by how you choose to use your freedom. And we want to live our lives in such a way that people who are highly resistant to the gospel will take notice. They will see the choices that we're, we're making. They'll see how we're using our freedom to make a different choice. And they will, be, they will move towards the gospel instead of away from it. So where's the justice in all of this? You know, remember, we talked about like this wrestling match that we have when we see an injustice. Like that feeling like, I got to make this right. I got to make this wrong right, right? <laughs> Look at verse 23. This is where the justice comes in. There's really good news for us. It says, uh, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, what did he do? What did Jesus do? He entrusted himself to him who what? Judges justly. So there is going to be justice. This is what Peter's saying. Like, there is going to be justice. I'm not asking you to, like, sweep this under the rug, forget that it didn't happen, ignore it. Like, no. Peter's saying, no, every wrong will be made right. See, God is not asking us to forget about justice. He's asking us to trust him for his date on the calendar when every wrong will be made right. And this brings incredible peace to you and to me. It brings us peace because I don't have to feel this pressure of trying to right every wrong anymore. I just need to trust the God of justice, right? See, the world is convinced that the only way that we're going to see justice is here and now. And so we take on this role that I'm going to make sure justice is served in this situation. 
And that's why there's always conflict in our world, right? That's, all, that's why, for some of you, there's always conflict in your marriage. Because you're trying to be the one to exercise justice in your situation rather than exercising grace. And Peter's telling us today, like, use your freedom to make a different choice. Because there's a lot at stake. Our impact is at stake. And people, a watching world is watching us. People who are highly resistant to the gospel. And we want to make choices that honor God. And so that people that are highly resistant to the gospel see our choices, see how we live under very pressure cooker type situations. They see how we live and they're moved closer to the gospel, not further away from it. Look at verse 24. It says that Jesus, he himself, what did he do? He bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. So obviously it's teaching us a deep theological implication, right? Our salvation was purchased because Jesus bore our sins on the cross. But remember, Peter's using this as an example for us. So how, how is Jesus bearing his sins on the cross an example for how you and I should live? Well, to, for Jesus to bear our sins on the cross, what that really means is that he absorbed our sin. He absorbed our sin on the cross. And so if, if we can't provide salvation for people, right? Only Jesus can do that. So, but, but this is our example. So if we are to live like Jesus, what this means for you and I is that when you're treated unfairly and unjustly and you're slandered and you're not respected and you're looked over, and you're suffering as a result of that, it means that we're to absorb that pain into our body. And guess what? The pain stops with us. That's what that means. The pain stops with us. In other words, I'm not going to take that pain and lash out and reflect it back out to people. I'm going to absorb it. This is powerful. Imagine what would happen in our world Imagine what would happen in our workplaces. Imagine what would happen in our communities and in our marriages if we lived this out. That we would say, we would put down the sword. That we would say, okay, I, I have a choice to make here. I could use my freedom um, to make a different choice. And I'm going to make a choice where highly resistant people will see my, the choice that I'm making. And it will move them closer to the gospel, not further away from it. See, Jesus exercised his freedom to make a different choice. He acted what, what I'll say, what I'll call redemptively. He acted redemptively. That word, um, let me just put it this way. It's when we give grace a chance to win in a situation. That's what it means to act redemptively. So in other words, Jesus saw the bigger picture. He, 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 didn't, he didn't worry too much about the conflict that he was placed in 
at the time because he saw the bigger picture. And he didn't want to win the conflict but lose the war. He acted redemptively on our behalf. And aren't you thankful for that? We have freedom as a result of that. See, the essence of freedom is choices. That's what the essence of freedom is. It's choices. And choices require wisdom. So when we live our lives, we always have to be processing through wisdom, right? We need to look at wisdom so that we can make a good choice, so that we can exercise our freedom in a way that would honor God. And so I just want to give this to you. Maybe you want to write this down. But before choosing how to respond to a negative situation, maybe it's at your work, maybe it's in your marriage, maybe it's with a neighbor, maybe it's with a a family member who you don't get along with, Uh, before choosing how to respond to a negative situation, we need to stop and we need to ask ourselves this question. This is where the wisdom comes. What choice will bring the best chance of a redemptive breakthrough? I have freedom. I want to use my freedom to make a better choice, to make a good choice, because I I, I care about the impact that I'm making in, in my world. And so what choice will bring about the best chance of a redemptive breakthrough? What choice will give, the mo- give, room, to the most, uh, give room to grace the most that, that will allow grace to win in, in, in this situation? See, active re- acting redemptively is much more important than being right or being heard or winning a conflict or winning a battle. But here's the frustrating thing that we have to understand. There's no guaranteed outcome, right? So you could do the right thing. You could make the right choice, really trusting God for a redemptive breakthrough in your marriage and in a relationship, and it might not end the way you would like it to. But the outcome's not up to you anyway. And so our job is just to make to use our freedom in a way that will cause highly resistant people to the gospel to move closer to the gospel rather than further away from it. So when you ask that question, that wisdom question, what choice will bring the best chance of a redemptive breakthrough, it might be that you need to confront somebody. Like the best the best chance of a redemptive breakthrough in this situation is confrontation, like in a, in a way that honors God, right? With truth and grace. That might be the best way. That's what the prophet Nathan, remember when he confronted David because David had sinned, committed adultery with Bathsheba, right? Nathan acted redemptively and he, he had to confront David. And the result of that was a, was a beautiful outcome, right? David repented. David repented of, of his sin. For some of you, when you ask that question, what choice can I make that, that would bring about the best chance of a redemptive breakthrough? For some of you, the answer to that question is, I need to keep my mouth shut, right? And so it requires wisdom, But God promises to to give us wisdom. See, here's what I know. Some of you 
are here today and you have used your freedom to make a different choice that led to a redemptive breakthrough. Because I've seen and I've heard those stories. So some of you, for example, were cheated on by your spouse. And it hurt bad. It hurt deeply. You're still reeling from the choices of a spouse that cheated on you. And you had scripture to kind of uh, give you an opportunity to, to get out of your marriage, but you asked the question, what choice will bring the best chance of a redemptive breakthrough? And you chose to stay in your marriage. And as a result of that, you gave room for grace to work and do what grace does. And as a result of that, your marriage is absolutely amazing amazing now. Better than it was before. And people who are all of your neighbors and all of your co-workers are watching you. They were watching you when you were going through all of this. They probably even gave you advice to do what's natural in that situation when somebody's faced with that situation. So they're watching you and you made a different choice. You exercised your freedom to make a different choice and the result was that people who may have been highly resistant to the, to the gospel saw your choice and they moved closer to the gospel. That's a beautiful thing. Some of you are in this church and you've been hurt by people in this church, right? Because we're imperfect people. Somebody lied about you in this church, spread false rumors about you. And the result of that is you were slandered and you were hurt deeply, but some of you, what happened is when you asked that question, what choice would bring about the best chance of a redemptive breakthrough, you exercised your freedom to stay instead of leave the church. You stayed. And as a result of that, a breakthrough took place. An amazing breakthrough. See, see how we often get in the way of what God wants to do in us and through us by our freedom? Some of you, you, uh, you had an opportunity to take someone to court and truth of the matter is you had a really good case and you would have probably won. But you asked the question, right? What would, what would be the, the best course of action for me? What would be the best choice to bring about a redemptive breakthrough? And you chose not to go to court. And you missed out on a big check here but let me just tell you, your reward in heaven is going to be greater and bigger than any check you would have received. See, that's how this works. But this is really, really hard stuff. It's really, really hard stuff. This is why we need the Holy Spirit of God to empower us to be able to do this. Remember, the impact of your life will be measured in large part by how you choose to handle your freedom. Let's allow grace to win. Let's give room for God to get the glory in our situations. Let's be like Jesus. Would you pray with me? God, Lord, this is so hard to do this, but it's what you've called us to do. Lord, we want to be a people who uses our freedom to make a different choice, one that honors you, and in so doing, Lord, that our lives would be a testimony that people would watch us 
And they, they would, we would close that disconnect and that gap between what we say we believe and how we live. And in so doing, God, that you would bring redemptive breakthrough, that highly resistant, people who are highly resistant to the gospel would move closer to the gospel because of the choices that we make, Lord. Thank you for purchasing our freedom. Lord, you tell us in John chapter 8 that whom the Son sets free is free indeed. We're free. We don't have to live like the culture expects us to live. We can make a different choice because of the freedom that we have in you, Lord. So we humbly submit our lives to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.